นโมทัสสะภะวะทุรหะทุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทุรหะทุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทุรหะทุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสิ่งนี้วันนี้ถ้าไม่ได้ตอบคำถามที่ถูกตอบแทนฉันอยากจะกลับไปที่การอธิบายเกี่ยวกับการสอนแบบธรรมะ Dhammapada And it's Dhammapada verse 118, which says, "Having performed a good deed, repeat it again and again. Be interested in the pleasure that arises from goodness. The fruit of accumulated goodness is contentment." A lot in this verse, and uh, like to spend this evening contemplating this together. One of the first things, perhaps, to comment on is how we might be keen to miss some of the. Significance of this teaching, perhaps on one level, it doesn't sound tremendously profound. Maybe we're more interested in liberating insights and wonder what the point is of dwelling on accumulation of goodness. Well, there's a the Buddha placed a great deal of importance on uh, cultivating and accumulating goodness. And, Wholesome potential. It's in Pali referred to as as punya, and the, the point being that, as we've discussed before, that if there's not sufficient momentum or or concentration or intensity, then precipitation doesn't take place. And the the image that I gave a few weeks ago of uh, using that experiment in the chemistry laboratory back in high school many years ago and And the crystallization of of copper sulfate. If there's not sufficient concentration, the crystallization doesn't take place, and and we can see in other areas of our lives likewise. It might have a seriously good idea for a startup company, and might have a a fabulous team of developers and designers and colleagues to. Develop whatever the product is, and however, if there's not capital, then that aspect of the potential is missing. Then the startup is not going to go very far. So, so cultivating momentum, cultivating intensity, cultivating potential is a very significant part of this practice. And sometimes we maybe. Fall prey to the conditioning of, of the sooner the better, the idea that 
if we get something quicker, then somehow that's going to be better. But also, we just look at our everyday life, and you see when, when vegetables or fruit are force-fed with chemicals, they, they don't have much flavour. And so, just because something is done quickly doesn't mean to say that it's better quality. In fact, if it doesn't happen naturally, then there's a good chance that there's going to be something missing or it's going to be somehow out of balance or disharmonious. So let's be careful to not be in too much of a hurry in our spiritual practice. In this verse, the Buddha is encouraging, if you, having performed a good deed, repeat it again and again, and then be interested be interested in the pleasure that arises with goodness. In other words, use mindfulness, use sati to reflect on the cause and effect. And then wise reflection on how the fruit of the accumulation of goodness is contentment. With sati and wise reflection, with mindfulness and wise reflection, then there's the chance of really benefiting from the goodness of our lives. But again, if we're in too much of a hurry, we might be doing good stuff, we might be keeping precepts, we might be generous, we might be having a regular sitting practice. However, if we're not really there for it, if if there isn't mindfulness and wise reflection going on, maybe we're just busy focusing on some idea of the goal. When am I going to get liberated? And, And yet here the Buddha is talking about having performed a good deed, reflect on it. Reflect on it. Remember it. Get interested. Get interested in the pleasure that arises. Not just get interested in the ideas we have of what might happen in the future, whether they're positive ideas about, you know, maybe I'm going to have a realisation of something amazing very soon, or, or maybe I'm just going to have to plod along with this mediocre level of practice and, and struggle for the rest of my life. A lot of that is missing the point, that we're making good effort, and yet we're not really there for it. We're not exercising mindfulness and wise reflection so as to optimize on the good effort that we're making. I remember my very first year as a monk when I was living with Atanajan Tate, and I'd been talking about something that had happened in my practice, which was very agreeable, and after listening to it, his comment was, well, your practice is to now remember quicker. Like, don't forget this experience. Remember this. Reflect on it. So reflecting on goodness, remembering what we've done in the past that's produced pleasure, the pleasure that arises from goodness, because when we do remember that, well, then there's a motivation to repeat it, and it becomes easier, like exercising restraint. If we really want to say something that we know we shouldn't say, but it takes a lot of effort to be restrained, and we succeed in the restraint, what happens when we think about that? We feel good. That's right practice. Enjoy the good feeling. Really enjoy the good feeling that comes from good practice. Whatever the kind of goodness, whether generosity, restraint, patience, kindness, integrity. 
enjoy the goodness that arises and reflect on it and see, consider how the Buddha is talking there about the fruit of accumulated goodness is contentment. That's not something just to believe, but it's wise to take that on board and to reflect on that. Now some people, I've heard, uh, resist teachings about cultivating contentment. They look at the world we live in and see how unfair, how unjust it is and take the view that indignation, passionate rage is the appropriate response to the situation. Well, when you've seen somebody caught in passionate indignation or rage, are they really trustworthy? Is there somebody there who is, you feel safe to be around? When we get caught up in indignation, for instance, or anger and whatever pain, whatever dukkha it is that's manifesting, if we're caught up in it, we're clinging to it, if we're identified as it, then we lose intelligence, we lose perspective, we lose awareness, we lose the refuge. We're not safe. We're not safe with regards to ourselves, and not safe with regards to others. Now that's not to say that we're supposed to be trying to be peaceful and attached to contentment when it arises. That's the other extreme. However, if we don't know contentment, if we don't have access to any well-being, then life is going to be very exhausting as a heading for a burnout. And it's very easy to look at the world we live in with the wonderful opportunities there are and yet the insane reaction of greed and hatred and abuse, injustice. It's very easy to feel indignant. How do we allow ourselves to feel what we feel when we see injustice and in the world that we live in? How can we feel what we feel without becoming lost in it? Well, it takes mindfulness and wise reflection. It also takes an accumulation of punya, an accumulation of goodness, an accumulation of, of wholesomeness. If we haven't built up our storehouse of goodness, then the chances are we're going to be a little low in self-respect. But if we have built up punya, if we've built up our storehouse of goodness, and if we have cultivated mindfulness, and we are exercising wise reflection, then maybe there's a chance that we'll be able to look at the world and see the imbalance, the insanity, the unfairness, and yet not lose perspective. It's like the image that we've spoken about before of the ocean. Even when there's tumultuous waves on the surface, there can be a stillness in the depths. And that's what we're talking about in terms of right practice. It's not about always holding on to a 
peaceful mind state and clinging to that. Not at all. However, if we don't know how to let go of mind states and rest and be somewhat still, then there's a chance that we're going to lose balance and contribute to the disharmony. We see injustice and we just hate the injustice. And, and we see an abuser and we just hate the abuser. And then the abuser feeds on our hatred. And, and so it goes backwards and forwards. There's, there's no freedom. There's no return to balance if that's all that's happening. So with the refuge in selfless awareness and the cultivation of mindfulness and wise reflection, we can look at the situation and the world that we live in and yes, feel disturbed by it, yes, feel sad by it, but not be lost in the feelings of being disturbed or be lost in the feelings of sadness. Or the goodness, as this verse was talking about, some goodness that we've witnessed or performed and then the pleasure that comes from remembering that goodness. If there's mindfulness and wise reflection, then there's less chance that we're going to get lost in that pleasure and that goodness. Because if there isn't mindfulness and wise reflection, then that, even the goodness we can spoil. It's not just getting lost in negativity and pain that creates difficulties. Also, we create serious difficulties when we get lost in, in happiness. It's interesting if you read in the scriptures, like, for instance, in the, the collection known as the Terragata, you can read about these awakened beings waxing lyrical about the fragrance of the wildflowers and the beauty of living in nature. And you might wonder how these awakened beings can be talking like that when you read some of the other things in the scriptures, you know, meditation on death and rotten corpses and so on. And, well, it's because these beings really know the natural experience of joy and delight which comes from living in a beautiful environment. They don't become intoxicated by it. They don't cling to it. Why do they not cling to it? Because their quality of mindfulness and wise reflection is so refined, so well developed, that they can feel what they feel, the joy and the sorrow, but without getting lost in any of it. We don't have that refinement of mindfulness and wise reflection, and so we do get lost in it. So when we get lost and we spoil the beauty and we make the pain worse than it has to be, that's the teaching. If there's a modicum of mindfulness, then we're going to hopefully remember that this is the teaching. This feeling of limitation, this feeling of obstruction, this feeling challenged by life is the teaching. It's not a symptom of our failure. This is, this is ready to be received. Remember, again, the Buddha's teaching, uh, uh, there's two reasons why you stay lost, and one is not seeing suffering, and the other is not seeing the cause of suffering. Not seeing dukkha, not seeing the cause of dukkha. And how do we apply ourselves so as to be able to 
correct that condition, we cultivate mindfulness and wise reflection. We accumulate punya, build up our storehouse of goodness. And when these factors are in place, well, then maybe we start to see our feelings of being challenged, our feelings of limitation, our suffering differently. It can take a very long time, depending on what accumulations we're carrying, how heavy our burden is, it can take a very long time before we start to really be able to feel what we feel as it's happening without the interference of the backlog of old unreceived suffering. Anybody who comes to practice to start off with is going to encounter this momentum of what's classically referred to as old negative karma, or what I prefer to refer to as, as old unreceived life, or old unreceived pain, old unreceived suffering. We slow down, cease from feeding our addictions to distraction, cultivate the discipline of attention here and now, feeling what we're feeling, and then there's these irrational perceptions, this excessive reactivity, restlessness, aversion, frustration, disappointment, sadness. Anybody who embarks on the spiritual journey with commitment is going to encounter something like that. And if we don't have the right approach, then we can easily judge it. If we don't have enough mindfulness and wise reflection, we can just make it worse. However, if we have accumulated enough punya, built up a storehouse of goodness, we do have a sufficiently well-developed sense of mindfulness and wise reflection, then we can meet our suffering. Say, yes, this is the teaching. Yes, this is ready to be received. Just yes. Just say yes to it. Which is often contrasted to what our conditioned feeling is, which is, no, I do not want to have to feel this fear. No, I do not want to have to deal with this disappointment yet again. No, I do not want to have to face this anxiety or aversion. So, clinging is what spoils experience, the wholesome experience of goodness is spoiled when we cling to it, and the painful, unwholesome experiences are made worse when we cling to them. We, don't, we fail to get the message. And that's at the very core of all these teachings. Clinging is the culprit. So with mindfulness and wise reflection, we can look at and consider the consequences of clinging, including if we're clinging to the good feeling that arises having performed a good deed. So whatever the goodness may have been, whether it's success and meditation and, and some tranquility and joy that 
emerges out of the effort that we are making, if we cling to that, what happens? Does that help or does that hinder? Probably everybody who's been meditating for a while realizes that you know, trying to repeat some experience in meditation is almost guaranteed to create a hindrance, you know, be obstructive. And, or whether it's having succeeded in being restrained more than we're used to because we made some effort and uh, came back to here and now, um, skillful contemplation of the moment and we don't just get lost in reactivity. We overcome our habitual reactions and then afterwards uh, that good effort gives rise to happiness. What happens if we cling to that happiness? We spoil it. So to use wise reflection, to use mindfulness and wise reflection to, uh, to really investigate the consequences of how we relate to experience. Not to be in such a not to be in not to be in too much of a hurry to have the next experience, to get even more agreeable results from effort, but to slow down, meet ourselves more accurately where we're at with what is happening. And maybe we start to see and understand why the world we live in is so fraught, why it is so out of balance. Start to see in our own minds where when we cling even to goodness, there are negative consequences. If, for instance, we have a lot of happiness in our life, a lot of goodness, but we're clinging to it. We can become very narrow-minded. We can become overly pleased with ourselves. And when we become overly pleased with ourselves, what happens? Well, again, if we're interested in reality, if we're exercising mindfulness and wise reflection, we can reflect on this and see what happens when we get overly pleased with ourselves. Well, we become puffed up. We become narrow-minded. We stop listening to other people. We only listen to ourselves. We stop appreciating other people. We dismiss even. We dismiss. We can dismiss people who don't impress us or look valuable to us. If we're overly pleased with ourselves and we start to look at other people in terms of whether they're going to be of some benefit to me or not. So we can be dismissive of people that we don't like or people that we're afraid of. Clinging causes contraction, which, again, as we were contemplating recently, contracts the heart, limits the field of awareness, and produces projection. The more habits of clinging that we're indulging in, the more cramped our inner world, instead of an expanded, capacious quality of awareness that can accommodate vast varieties and perceptions and so we can consider what's wholesome and what's unwholesome and how to relate to them with compulsive habits of clinging there isn't that capacity fear arises somebody who's different somebody who belongs to a different religion or somebody who looks different and, and speaks different fear arises and then 
instead of being able to accommodate that fear and take responsibility for that fear and learn from that dukkha, we project it outwards. We compound the dukkha. Instead of the dukkha being a teacher for us, we compound it and then project it out onto the other. We just create an enemy and we feel threatened by it. Therein lies the drama of deluded existence. Conversely, if we heed the Buddha's teachings and are dwelling on the consequences of accumulated goodness and see the pleasure that arises from it, then we're interested in goodness. We're building up our storehouse of goodness. We're exercising mindfulness. We're exercising wise reflection. And then if we catch ourselves about to act or by way of body or speech towards somebody in a, based on prejudice or projection, maybe there's a better chance that we'll inhibit that reaction and get interested in it. This dukkha, this is the teacher. And as I was saying, it can take a long time to burn through, see through, cut through our accumulation of unreceived dukkha. But if we start to get closer to the point where we can just be with this moment of dukkha as it's arising, if it's simple dukkha rather than super dukkha. Super dukkha or dukkha dukkha is where we have the normal dukkha of life but we add to it with resistance. Life is dukkha. Sabe sankara dukkha ti, as the Buddha said. Yadha panyaya pasati atani bindati dukkha esamago visudhya. Studying the dukkha of life, studying it wisely, brings about a disinterest, a turning away from it. And this, this is the purification. Dukkha is the teacher. How can we get to the point where instead of having to struggle with dukkha, dukkha all the time, we're just with simple here and now, just dukkha. Investigate dukkha. Investigate our relationship to it. Are we making it my dukkha? This moment of irritation because I'm not feeling understood. Is this really me? Is this really who I am? Or is this just dukkha? It's like Again, we've spoken before about biting into a lemon and you experience sourness. We don't get all guilty and humiliated because we, <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've got experience of sourness. And yet, on the mind level, when there's a painful, unpleasant, disagreeable impression, we do take it terribly personally. My disappointment, my irritation, my fear, fear of failure. If there's a feeling of fear of failure, are we obliged to take that personally? Or is there another way of relating to it? From the Buddha's perspective, if there's a storehouse, sufficient storehouse of goodness and sufficiently well-cultivated mindfulness and wise reflection, 
There is another way of relating to it. That fear of failure can be received in the larger reality of expanded awareness and investigated, felt, contemplated, and maybe what emerges out of that is the kind of letting go. That doesn't mean to say that you don't feel the fear of failure anymore or the, the irritation and disappointment or sadness anymore, but that you might be able to feel it more freely. It doesn't have to define us completely. And if we can get a feeling for that for ourselves, how that works, how that is possible, then with it comes another level of understanding. And you can look at the world and instead of seeing the world full of bad, mad people, you just maybe start to see, well, it's just unawareness. It's classically referred to as avicca, not knowing. Unawareness is the cause, not bad people. If we haven't prepared ourselves, if we haven't exercise the discipline of attention so there's a sufficient steadiness to be able to watch dukkha, feel dukkha as it's happening, investigate dukkha. If there isn't sufficient discipline training, well, then we need to go back and, and work on that. Formal meditation, daily life practice, developing the spiritual faculties because if we don't have the spiritual faculties adequately developed, then we can't we simply can't do the work. Just the same as if you're deaf and got bad eyesight, it's difficult to get around in the world. It doesn't mean to say you can't get around, but it is more difficult. And the physical faculties are not functioning, then there is an experience of limitation. And likewise, when the spiritual faculties are not functioning, then the feeling of limitation and um, accordingly most of us feel chronically limited and chronically frustrated with our limitations. However, listening to these teachings from the Buddha that start to maybe appreciate there's something we can do about it. We can actually just a simple act of goodness get interested in the pleasure that arises from that and then appreciate how the accumulation of goodness leads to contentment. And that access to contentment means there's a better chance that we'll have perspective. If we don't have any contentment, then we're going to, the chances are we'll lose perspective constantly. And we lose perspective, then we project, we blame, we wring our hands and tear our hair out and say, it shouldn't be this way. Well. From the perspective of reality, saying it shouldn't be this way is kind of crazy, really. Saying it's wrong, from the perspective of reality, is also kind of crazy. It's, it's not wrong. It's sad that people act in ways that cause themselves and each other harm. Definitely sad and regrettable. However, it's not really wrong if we understand that there are causes for it. The causes are, it could be all sorts of causes, but if we take it back to the base level, 
then maybe we can start to appreciate that it's, it's this unawareness that's causing the struggles. Our personal struggles and struggles in the world. And as we know, there is always something we can do about that. And thank you very much this evening for your attention. Oh. Uh-huh.